Welcome to the Sports On Point podcast. We are on point and in studio. It is September 20th, 2010. I'm your host, Matthew Smith, and I'm joined in the studio by our new co-host. This is Bob Williams coming at you. I'm a sportaholic. Nice. And on to this week in sports, this is a section where we cover the top shared stories on the internet from every day of the past week, and our host will give a short comment on each of the days, starting off with Monday. With the NBA well being dry, Allen Iverson is now considering China. What do you think, Matt? Well, I think it only makes sense. He's got no market for his services in the NBA. Follow the Stefan Marbury route and head over to China to get your, uh, get your paychecks. I think it's kind of funny because I really felt like Marbury was following in Iverson's footsteps coming out of college at such a young age, and now the tables have turned. Uh, You know, I agree with Matt with the whole he should go to China, but there's also a part of me that doesn't want to see him over there. At some point, hopefully, Iverson can realize that he's a veteran point guard and can help some team. Yeah, that's not going to (laughs) happen. Yeah, I know, but still, there's hope. On a Tuesday, New York Jets lose lineman Chris Jenkins for 2010 with an ACL tear. What do you think, Bob? Well, you know, this week it seems to be moot. You know, they did really well against the high-powered New England offense. And I think for the year, um, it's going to be more of an offensive struggle with them. I think this uh, this injury, coupled with a lot of the other injuries we saw after week one, is really going to point towards the foolishness that is an 18-game expanded season. If this many players can get injured in week one, we're just adding two more weeks where chances are we'll have less of our quality players on the field. And who wants to go into playoffs with our backups playing? The Browns, they would like to get to the playoffs any way they can. That's true. On Wednesday, South Carolina Gamecocks dismiss Wesley Saunders. What do you think, Matt? The bright side of this for Wesley Saunders is now that he's been dismissed by the Gamecocks, he can spend all the time on South Beach with agents having parties that he wants and not have to worry about anybody investigating his activities. Uh, I think it would have mattered a little bit more if he would have played a game. Um, They seem to be fine with Marcus Lattimore in the backfield, um, and their entire season's going to rest on Steven Garcia. Alright, on to Thursday. Memo from the NFL says, we need to be respectful to women reporters. Bob? Um, This is a very interesting concept, just because, you know, how many people get that access? Um, it, it's really just a bunch of testosterone-filled dudes, you know, hanging out with each other. So some of the comments might be lewd or inappropriate, but who knows? You know, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, yeah, well, and to be fair, it's not like this woman is exactly from a reputable news agency. But my, my thinking on this is I think the NFL kind of missed the mark a little bit. You send out a memo telling people to respect, be respectful of women reporters. Yeah, that's that's fine. That's dandy. Whatever. This is the same league. Go find you thousands of dollars if you tweet at halftime of a football game. But yet all they do when somebody gets cat calls and is disrespected in the locker room is On the other hand, I say, why don't you be respectful to the guy's privacy in the locker room, right? Just get well, your butt yeah. out. My, my, my personal feeling is that, uh, and, and I'm going to start off sounding bad because I don't think women belong in the locker room, but I don't think the men reporters belong in there either. Just stay the hell out of the locker rooms and we won't have a problem. Right. I think the players should just snap everybody in the ass with a towel. Sweet. Rat tail city. 
And on Friday, Washington Huskies coach Steve Sarkeesian says that Rosie Bush looks like an idiot. What do you think? Strong words coming from a guy who worked on the offensive staff for USC when Reggie Bush was a student at USC. Uh, well, a student might be too harsh of a word. Uh, he, he was there. He played football there. Um, but he's the bottom line is he's flat out. He's right. When you return a trophy and you say that you're not admitting guilt, well, you return the trophy. How is that not admitting guilt? He looks like an idiot. I'll give him that one. Yeah, you know, there, there's no way to actually sidestep this issue or anything. You know, agents in, in self or any student athlete not going to school for the student part, you know, you're going to have some problems. But the entire USC debacle, you know, shows you just kind of the lunacy of the, you know, bigger picture of the NCAA right now. You know, Wesley Saunders, agents. You know, there's always going to be someone throwing money around at these kids. Mm-hmm. On Saturday, Pittsburgh Steelers cut Byron Leftwich, but plan to bring him back. What do you think, Bob? Well, it seems like they uh, might need him. Um, (laughs) If their defense keeps playing the way they have been, which it's the steel curtain, it's always been about the defense in Pittsburgh. And if they can keep at least Mendenhall healthy and doing some sort of, you know, offensive production, I, I don't think it'll be too big of a deal. I'm not convinced that they couldn't win football games with me at quarterback. And that's saying a lot because I'm as least athletic person you'll ever meet in your life. But that being said, Byron Leftwich has, has had some problems with his delivery. He hasn't really kind of fit into this system. And, and, and I don't know that uh, the Steelers have quite the offensive line to have a quarterback back there that takes that long to deliver the football. So um, he'll be good to have on the practice squad when they bring him back. And he'll still get his guaranteed co- uh, contract. So I'm not really feeling too bad for him. On a side note, I am going to um, dub a new term. For leftover sandwiches and just call them left witches because that way you cut three syllables out that's efficient i like it has nothing to do with sports but <laughs> no, no, no. it's like hey you want a bite of my left witch that sounded dirty actually i have to say it sounded kind of dirty so you're saying no that's enough <laughs> that's a that's a big negative i'll still use it and rounding the week off on sunday Minnesota Vikings to meet to discuss the trade for San Diego Chargers' Vincent Jackson. Matt. I don't want this to happen because I, I, I love the San Diego Chargers. I wish Vincent Jackson was going to play there, but I think that ship has sailed. Uh, at least they could trade him to the Washington Redskins so I can get some more fantasy value out of Donovan McNabb. Make it happen, guys. Uh, I don't think uh, Minnesota's big problem is their wide receivers. Uh, it's more that uh, Brett Favre should maybe go away. And uh, just give the ball to Adrian Peterson. Remember him a few years ago, leading back? I don't know. They forget to use him all the time. And now on to our To The Point section. This is a section where we have an open format chat that'll hit the main points in sports this week, but allow for a little bit more flexibility and opinion. So let's get started off with this week's topics. Matt? All right, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but uh, Reggie Bush this week agreed to return his 2005 Heisman Award. The Heisman Fund Foundation has said that that, remor- that award will remain vacant. Um, so all of you Vince Young fans, you still have to live with the fact that you did not win the award in 2005, which I, I, I fall under that category. I really think that was Vince, Yo- Vince Young's award. I, I, you know, I agree wholeheartedly with you, Matt. Um, the fact that, you know, every... Um, scrambling quarterback is now compared to Vince Young in that season that he had. It was something special. Yep. 
There's the way that I always quantify it is if you took Reggie Bush off of that USC team, I'm pretty sure they still play for a national championship. Yeah, they still had was it Liner Carson? Oh, oh absolutely, and yeah, and no. Lendell White was there. I just I just don't think that he was the impact player that that uh, Vince Young was on that on that team. But at the same time, I, I revisionist history is something that I don't necessarily want to uh, submit to. So I, I, I don't see returning the Heisman and giving, the, giving it to, to Vince Young in this instance. The fact of the matter is they voted for him. He won. And if he was not eligible to win the award, which that is the case, by the way, the, uh, the, Heisman, the Heisman board always has succumbed to the NCAA eligibility rules. So if he's deemed ineligible by the NCAA and USC has to forfeit those wins, by nature of the Heisman's rules, Reggie Bush has to forfeit this Heisman. Well, weren't the NCAA also, they had their own separate, or the Heisman Trust, they had their own separate investigation as well, didn't they? It wasn't just the NCAA. I believe, I believe so, that's correct. You know, it's not verbatim, we're going to go the NCAA route, but, you know, it, it doesn't hurt to always do your own investigation in that sense. But, but the one thing is, is their their individual investigation board that they had never set up rules for eligibility for the Heisman. They just said, look, if you're eligible for the NCAA, you're eligible for us. So even when they're investigating, they're investigating NCAA eligibility. And uh, in this case, you know, Reggie Bush came out and he gave his little statement where he said the Heisman was was my award and it was an individual award, but it, uh, you know it was due to my teammates, it was due to the offensive line. It came out looking to me like a real class act for about five seconds before I realized that he's just getting off the ship before the ship sinks. And then to come back and say that by turning this tri- trophy in, it does not admit guilt. You just you it's Steve Sarkeesian said it the best. You look like an idiot, Reggie. Yeah, just let it go, admit it, move on. Right. I, I from a PR standpoint. How much would it help Reggie Bush's image right now if he were to just come out and say, "Look, I regret, I regret everything I did when that everything that happened with USC. I regret the benefits I took. I regret the state that I've left USC football in since I've left." Is that? I mean, is that such a hard thing to say? No, you know, honestly, I don't. I don't think he. It would really tip the scale either way in that sense because Reggie Bush seems like a likable guy in the NFL. You know, the Saints were the wonder story last year, but it wasn't built around him. It was a built around their team, their success. So, you know, USC was always a great team with or without him as well. So, you know, I, he could come out and admit it, and I don't think anyone almost wouldn't care in, the, in that sense if he's a bad guy. One of the... Uh... One of the things that uh, I thought was absolutely hilarious as this whole thing unfolded was after after the sanctions came down against USC, ESPN writer Pat Forty um, picked up on a tweet that uh, Reggie Bush had made saying, there's so many lies and half-truths that are being floated around. And Pat Forty responded back to it saying, that's because you're the one telling them. I thought that was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life, and I wish there was more honesty like that from from uh, from the guys at the worldwide leader up there that uh, just call out athletes when they're full of BS. Just call them out. It's great. Now USC did not find their way into the preseason poll this year, um, although they've made it up to the list now. I think that's uh, just a long list of examples that we could probably provide as to why preseason polls really mean nothing. You you mean they don't mean anything? You mean Boise State and Virginia Tech really wasn't that big of a deal? <laughs> Considering that's all we heard about the first week, 
And then go, you know, Boise State, quality team, you know, not going to diss them because they're playing in a weak, whack schedule. Um, but their premier matchup isn't really anything because the following week, um, Virginia Tech lost to James Madison. Right. Okay, James Madison wasn't even ranked, you know, in, in the FCS. So I, I've never been a really big fan of the preseason poll. I love the fact that, you know, the BCS has at least one thing right, that they don't uh, release a preseason poll, that they wait until week six. Um, you know, it definitely cuts down who's the pretenders versus who's the contenders. Yeah, I've got a list right in front of me of the top 25 in the preseason from the AP compared to what it is now. And you look at it right away, and there's there's some major differences. And, and, and some things I look at that just, to me, they're set up. Texas and Florida being the number seven and number nine teams in the country. Have you watched them play this week? Are they the number seven and number nine teams in the country? Well, I can tell you that uh, Florida, definitely not. Definitely not. No, they were definitely a Tim Tebow team. You know, I'm, I'm not the biggest Tim Tebow guy. I'm, you know, not really a big Florida fan. But this year is showing how much he meant to that entire offensive team. And I, and I hate to use Boise State as an example because if you listen to the show, you know that I think that Boise State does not deserve a shot at a national championship. I, do don't, I don't think they deserve to be the number three team in the country. They've beat every team that's been put in front of them, but the teams that are getting put in front of them here on out are nothing. Yeah. But when you look at Texas, Texas played Wyoming earlier this year, I believe. Let me look up the... Uh, let me look up the score on that one. I believe it was uh, a less than impressive performance by the Texas Longhorns. Uh, well, even Texas this week wasn't really that impressive against Texas Tech, which recent years they've been, other than, uh, I think it was 08, wasn't it? 2008, 2009, where they right. had the shootout in in uh, Austin. They've done you know fairly well in that. The Crabtree uh, touchdown that, yeah. that won the game. Yeah, Texas knocked off Wyoming in week two, 34-7. Wyoming played Boise State this week, and Boise State absolutely destroyed them 51-6. Now, I've said it before, I don't think that Boise State deserves to be the number three team in the country because, first of all, they don't have that many blue chippers on their squad. They get the most out of everything they've had, but they play nobody, and all they have to do is get up for a couple big games every season. But when they're playing a common team of Wyoming that a team like Texas Maybe they didn't struggle against, but they certainly didn't dominate. But when you play common opponents, and you're talking about a team like Texas, who offensively just looked ragged. They just didn't look like they had their, their ducks in a row. Has Texas, just just you know on an offset point, but has Texas really had a running game since uh, Reggie, Reggie, no. Ricky Williams. Ricky Williams. There we go. Well, had Jamar Charles, and he was kind of underutilized. Speed back, but they didn't yeah, really use him that They much. didn't use him enough. I agree completely. But the reason that I mention this is because the only reason that Texas is number seven and Florida is number nine is because in the preseason, they were number four and number five. If the preseason poll had been accurate, they would still be up there, first of all. And second of all, if the free preseason poll had not been generated in the first place, these are not top 10 teams. What you have is you have a lot of people who voted them as top 10 teams in the preseason, and they know that information is out there and published, so they feel they have to stick with their guns, and they have to keep Texas, and they have to keep Florida in their top 10, even though they're not top 10 talent teams. Yeah, and I agree with that. You know, uh, last night, wee hours in the morning here in the East Coast, Iowa, who was, you know, close to a top 10, I know they were ranked ninth last night, uh, went out to the desert uh, and got beat by Arizona. 
So, you know, another circumstance, yeah, maybe, maybe not a too, you know, easy of a game, but, you know, it was definitely a, another top 20, two top 25 well, that was, a, that was a close game, and it was an East... It, well, I, I guess it's not totally East, but, uh, you know, it's an East team traveling pretty far to go out West and play a football game. Uh, I, I can give them a bit of a pass. They dropped down to number 18. I'm okay with that. But, again, would they be number 18 if they hadn't been number 9 at the preseason? I'm not sure that they would have. Um, shoot, Virginia Tech just now dropped out of the top 25. They were still in there after losing to Boise State. And then, I shouldn't say just now, because they, they dropped out uh, in the last poll, but... Uh, number 10 team in the country. Do you think they would even sniff the top 25 by the end of the season? Even if they went out, I'm not even sure that they do. Um, so I don't know. Just, that's, that, that's another intriguing side story is does Virginia Tech, you know, depending on how, how well their season is, is how high they get at the end of the year and how many of these voters are going to base it on the prem, you know, premise that they were, they were once a top 25 team. USC dropped from the preseason from number 14 to number 20. They've won three out of three games. Maybe they didn't look ultra-impressive against Minnesota this week, but if they were number 14 at the preseason and they win all their games, why are they number 20 now? I, you know, again, preseason polls. What okay, they I, do? okay, I know that we, you started off by saying this, and it, and it, and it really disgusts me to even, to even say this, but the BCS does something right. Yeah, I, I did mention that, didn't I? Uh, I? I was shocked when I actually uh, thought of this, you know, topic or this whole idea of preseason polls because every year, you know, we talk about preseason polls as a general fan consensus consensus in the media, um, and finally, the BCS might have gotten something right after how many years? 12, 13 years? Yeah, and and uh, numerous ca- uh, controversies. Uh, and of course, every year they tweak their formula a little bit so that uh, this standardized formula we have for determining a champion becomes less standardized every year. <sighs> BCS. Here's the thing: BCS does does one thing right. They 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 don't start their polls uh, at the beginning of the season. They don't even start it week two, three, or four. Uh, that's a wonderful thing. The AP and the coaches' polls could certainly learn um, something from that. They uh, won't though, because they're you know. AP's media driven. So now I have to I have to look back at this, but I, I distinctly remember one of these two polls. Most likely the coaches' poll um, had a debate at the beginning of the year this year whether they wanted to actually release a preseason poll, and obviously they came up with the wrong decision because they released it anyways. You want to know why? You don't want the reason why they got their decision wrong, or you know came up with that decision was because the coaches really weren't voting. <laughs> yeah, yeah their assistance. Yeah. Yep, voting for Javon Sneed as the SEC Player of the Year. Anyways, you know, I, I've always looked at this. You know, college polls are just ridiculous because I think more so than any other place in sports, you've got a group of freshmen coming in, you've got seniors that left, so there's a big chunk of the team that gets reorganized. Now, granted, you have the same system coming back, you have the same coach. You know, there are a lot of pieces that are in place, but. In the NFL, you don't really have, well, you've got some star rookie impact players, but you don't have a big chunk of your team that's being replaced. And so it's a lot easier to do, in my opinion, to do polling preseason in something like the NFL where it's a little bit more. Logically, that makes sense. Yes, but then then we have the the Jets who decide to uh, throw money at every free agent possible this year, and you know 
the Jets, who are the Redskins of this well, yeah, of this they offseason, are. And, and then that's tough because you're you're relying on a lot of people who and for some and for some reason, despite all of those things that you just listed, college football is still way more predictable from a season snapshot standpoint than the, the NFL. NFL is really. Absolutely. Yeah, there's way more I mean, parity I mean, in the if NFL. You, if you look at it, like it seems like every year in the NFL, there's one division where a team goes from last place to first place, and you look at their roster and you look at the things that they've changed in the lineups, and you're like, how the hell did that happen? And and and, and to be fair, like look at the look at the New Orleans Saints over the last three years. Last year they won the Super Bowl. The year before that, I think they finished eight and eight, nine and seven. They were close to a playoff team if they did not. They they were just out. Yeah. They started the season 0-4 or something like that. And the year before that, they were the second-best record, I believe, in the NFC at like 13-3 and or something like that. So it, it, that was the same team that whole time. And for some reason, it's you know the old adage, any given Sunday, sometimes you just win games that you should have lost and you lose games, games you should have won. won. I guess I look at everything through like rose-colored glasses, thinking that you can individually look at each team and from year to year see where they're going to be. And I even think that uh, there's still this intangible piece that you aren't going to tell what... I mean, you can know whether it's going to be a better team, a more effective team. You aren't going to know what the other teams are going to do. So there's still that, that uncertainty there. But I think if you were honest with all those things, two years ago, th- they should have been polled saying that the Saints were good. Not necessarily that they were, you know, a top-tier team. But I don't, I don't really think that they did change from year to year. Well, the thing is... Saints four years ago finished last in their division. Three years ago, they won the division, and that happens actually a lot in the NFL. Well, you can even say Cincinnati last year they won the you know the NFC North. They won the NFC or AFC North, they, and they yeah. they they I believe finished second to last the year before, yeah. just at, just in front of the uh, lowly brown lowly clowns. Browns. Clowns. Uh, a big piece you get in the NFL that you don't get in college football though is like this chemistry, right? Team chemistry where you got. Prima Donna's moving from one team to another, and what's the locker room going to look like, and how are the coaches going to take to these new personalities and stuff. So that's always an unknown that makes polling in the NFL fun. Right. Now, interesting, interesting. I think, to bring up on the subject that uh, we're two weeks into the NFL season, and the Dallas Cowboys are 0-2. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 2-0. and if football was played on paper, those numbers would not be happening. No. I'm not sure that we would. I'm not sure we would have a two and O Texans team. I'm not sure that we would have a two and O. Jeez, uh, I know we wouldn't have a two and O Bears team. Two and O Chiefs team. Two and O Chiefs team. Fair enough. Or even for that matter, I mean, for all the worst they are, I'm not sure we would have an zero and two Browns team, considering they matched up against two of the worst teams in the NFL last season and didn't win either game. Uh, so it, it's it's football is definitely not a game that's played on paper. So preseason polls need to go away, and all of our predictions. Here's why. Here's why predicting the NFL is so much fun is because nobody ever gets it right. That's why we spent four weeks talking about it's it an because industry, it's so though. much. It's, it's so, so much. much it, it is. It's, it's totally news. It's fun, and yeah. people people want to. You know, there's that excitement. Everything is brand new. You ask any pundit for any team in the NFL, and they're the best team. And it's just fun speculating that, oh, they're better. And, you know, I have to think this way because as a Browns fan, every single year, you got to reset. If you don't, you know, live in near Cleveland, you're going to shoot yourself. So, 
it's it's a fun thing. There's <laughs> there's an industry to it. So preseason yeah. polls, um, although they don't they don't give anything, you know, to the Browns fan that keeps them from shooting themselves. They're still fun, uh, entertainment wise. Yeah. Well. The, the Browns are one team that's generally pretty easy to predict in the NFL. Since 99. Yeah. Yes, definitely with since the, with the exception of the 2007 season. Aberration. They've been, they've been, pre, uh, they've been pretty easy to predict. Um, it, Rex Ryan seems to think that he's uh, able to predict the outcome of what's going to happen with the New York Jets this year. I really think that uh, his swagger and verbose statements – have put way more pressure on the New York Jets team than what they deserve. Maybe some of that happens with the preseason polls. Maybe the coaches going out there and voting that teams are, are so great puts uh, puts pressure on them, and, and teams like Virginia Tech just completely crack. Um, and and uh, I, I fully expect that we'll see some of that with the Jets this season. But uh, I will admit they looked they looked pretty good today. I was I was really hoping to come in this week and, and rag on the Jets and all the preseason talking they did and how bad they I, to me they looked like a bottom half of the NFL team uh, last week against the Ravens. Just absolutely terrible. No verticalness in their offense. Just uh, running between the tackles and throwing for three to five yard gains. Um, just they looked they looked pretty bad. But uh, I guess something about something about getting up for the big Patriots game. They uh, they came to play this week so. Can't dog on him too much. Well, you know, honestly, it's just going to come down to the offense. We know they have, you know, a solid defense who week in and week out is going to put them in a situation where they're going to, you know, have the opportunity to win. Uh, it's going to rely on Mark Sanchez. You know, can he get the ball to his targets? It's definitely a quarterback-driven league. Yes. Uh, Rex Ryan wants to believe it or not. And it's, and it's tough. You know, they always say the sophomore slump. You know, it's, it's always tougher for a second-year guy, you know, when defenses are scheming for you, planning for you, you know, have a lot of film on you. Um, I think it helps that uh, he does have a quality receiver in Braylon Edwards. Uh, you know, I'm not his biggest fan, but, you know, there's, there's some days when he can go out and actually give an offense, you know, a good jolt. Uh, I think they'll be uh, actually better off in week four or after week four when they get Santonio San Holmes back. back. Sure. You know, when you have two quality guys out there, you know, sure, both of them might have the, some hands issues, but uh, as long as they, you know, have them, it'll open up the verticalness of the of the actual pass attack and, you know, hope, hopefully, you know, open some uh, lanes for LaDainian Tomlinson, Sean Green. Tomlinson has looked good this year. Yeah, you know, I, I unfortunately haven't been able to catch the games. I've only been able to catch the highlights, but, you know, he looks a little rejuvenated. He doesn't look like the Brett Favre of running backs that uh, that we kind of all thought he was the last two seasons. The just old guy who needs to give it up. Give him 40 years. He'll look exactly like Brett Favre. What's the over-under on uh, LaDainian Tomlinson getting rid of his Jets tattoo? Like, will, will that be a lifer? He'll keep it. Really? Yeah. He's, he's that loyal of a guy that... You know, three years from now, he's not playing for the Jets. He's playing for somebody else. He's still going to have a Jets tattoo. No, because I don't. I think he signed a what a two year contract with the Jets. I don't know that. Uh, I don't know that he has more than that left in him. He probably, he probably doesn't. You know, out in San Diego, he definitely put in a lot of actual carries, and we know that as much as we want, you know, a good strong running back to last, it it just doesn't happen. Uh, you know, it's like four or five years is you know your prime. Yeah. After that, you get worn down, you ragged, and you end up like Fred Taylor, who's on New England, who's you know a part of their nice five back system. That, honestly, it's kind of funny that you mentioned Fred Taylor because 
I think the only reason that Fred Taylor is even still able to play running back is because he missed so many games because of injuries. <laughs> that is true. Fragile Fred. <laughs> Fragile Fred missed a lot of games in his career, so uh, he, he preserved himself for the long run. <laughs> hey, Fred. So, yeah, all in all, like, the, the Jets' defense – is solid. There's no there's no doubting that. There's no questioning the Jets defense, but their offense. Maybe Sanchez is on a fast track with his career and he hit his sophomore slump about week 6 or 7 of his rookie season and it lasted through week 1 of his sophomore season and now he's done. He's he's now a third-year quarterback because he's that advanced. I'll wait till next week until we we start discussing that. Hell, I'll wait till week eight before we start discussing that. Yeah, you know, it's just tough as a quarterback in general in this league. Uh, you know, Roethlisberger is one of those names that gets thrown in there, but he had a solid team around him. You know, a good defensive team that was pretty much known for their running attack. And you know, yeah, they got rid of uh, Leon Washington this year. The Jets did, uh, but it, it's going to come down to the running game and the defense, and try to make sure that Sanchez is not carrying the entire load. But that's every team in the NFL. Right. A guy familiar with carrying the entire load is uh, Michael Vick from his days in Atlanta. He is now officially back, and he was the starting quarterback in Philadelphia this week. Um, a lot of speculation that Michael Vick is back to the superstar quarterback that he was in Atlanta. First of all, I'm, I'm hesitant to buy it. Definitely, if you watch the uh, if you watch the game last week, his speed is still there. His accuracy is still what it always was, and I think that's a big key: the accuracy. Which you know, Michael Vick has always been an athlete. You know how how is he going to be able to succeed in Philadelphia as a as an actual quarterback? I don't want the Michael Vick on the Atlanta Falcons. Phenomenal athlete, great running quarterback. You know, he's only had a quarterback rating over 90 two times in his entire career. He had it in 2009 on 13 attempts as a Philadelphia Eagle. And he has it now on 24 attempts as a Philadelphia Eagle. He is not a quarterback that's going to throw the ball. He's never he's never given a team more than 2,500 yards in offense with the exception of 2002. And... For all the more he is touted as a great running quarterback, he's only broken the 1,000-yard mark once. So when when you make statements like Michael Vick is back, which is, seems to be the prevailing statement that the sports media is making in general right now, that's fine, but say it for what it is. Michael, be- Michael Vick is back to being a passable quarterback and an outstanding athlete. He's just okay. And and honestly, Philadelphia only needs him to be okay. Um, you know, they do have a young running back in LaShawn McCoy who showed last year, you know, he's serviceable, he's productive. Um, and then he does have targets in Jeremy Macklin and... Uh, Deshaun Steven, or Deshaun Jackson. Yeah, Deshaun Jackson. Um, and Not to mention Brent Selleck. Selleck, yes, tight end. So he, he has the a team around him that is setting him up to succeed which he might not have had in Atlanta where it was pretty much him and Algie Crumpler I think it's a short-term thing though I, I, I think that Michael Vick is set up in a situation where he can win now but when you talk about the guys like Deshaun Jackson and, and uh, Jeremy Macklin you're talking about 
even Brent Selleck, you're talking about young players who really need to develop into a system that they are going to be in. The problem that I have with Michael Vick in Philadelphia is when you put him into the lineup, your offense dynamic changes completely. All of a sudden, you've got change of directions. You've got linebackers who've got to adjust to a quarterback who won't stay in the damn pocket. You've got receivers who are breaking off their routes and adjusting to a quarterback who's not staying in his pocket. And I think for the long run of the team as a whole, Michael Vick does not help them because the players are adjusting to playing with Michael Vick. And if he continues to be their quarterback week after week and Kevin Cobb comes back, which, let's face it, Kevin Cobb is going to come back. He's the quarterback they've invested the last three years into developing. The quarterback, He's the quarterback that they've put into their offense and they've put all the faith in the world in. They're not going to give up on him after you know 24 yards of offense and a concussion uh, just, because, just because Michael Vick is there. But I, I think when Kevin Cobb comes back, they become a worse team because Michael Vick was the quarterback in the meantime. Um, I don't. I don't even know that. Like a uh, big thing with Philadelphia in, in general, I guess, is the fact that they've had Donovan McNabb, who's been a mobile quarterback, not a runner, just a mobile. He's always been, you know, running around in the pocket, always, you know, trying to improvise. I was say, he's so, an improviser. Yeah, if sure. if they can sort of get Michael Vick to be a light version of that, almost okay. It, it, are they any better or worse? Because Donovan really didn't. You know, he was. By far a better quarterback than Michael Vick, but they never won with Donovan McNabb. So you know, I, I agree with you, Matt. You know, it it should be a short term thing. Bring Cole back. You know, let him get in the system. Let him actually get a rapport with Macklin and Selick, uh, and, and see where they go from there. Because it's not just now in the NFL; it's longevity. The other thing is Michael Vick has had. Um, two weeks where he's played on a football team where they've not been able to adequately game plan for him. Obviously, he came in halfway through the game last week, and and there was no game planning for him whatsoever. And then the whole thing coming into this week was the Eagles as an organization were saying Kevin Cobb is our quarterback, and if he passes a concussion test, he's our starting quarterback. Well, that didn't happen, so they the, the, the opposing team has to try to prepare for both Michael Vick or Kevin Cobb. And in this case, Michael Vick was the guy who took the snap, so the defense wasn't really prepared to, uh, to defend the Michael Vick offense. But as, as it stands, I just, I just don't see Michael Vick being in the best interest for the long term uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles. But in it, to his credit, I, I believe he's got just this year remaining on his contract – so performing to this level is definitely good for Michael Vick because I very, very highly doubt that we will see the lack of interest in him in the offseason if he becomes a free agent that we saw the last time. I think that you might, you might be falling into this trap that we get into in Cleveland, thinking that everybody who runs a team thinks the way that people that run teams in Cleveland run them. Cleveland, if anybody's showing any signs of doing something good, they're going to leave them in there. I think any well-run organization should be able to look at, you know, what Michael Vick is doing and say, that's great, good for you, Kolb is our quarterback. And, you know, because I do think that the longer he's in there, you do get to a point where it's like, well, we could continue to win and be short-sighted and only thinking about this season or we could do what's in the best interest of the team. And I think that traditionally – Probably the Eagles are one of the most well-run organizations. Agreed. So, yeah. so I think that they're going. I don't think that you're going to have to worry about, you know, anything that's going to be 
damaging to the organization where even if he does phenomenal and goes out there and puts up monster stats that you've never seen him do, I think they still are going to pull back. Yeah, for for all the somewhat questionable things that Andy Reid has done from time to time, I think they've missed the playoffs twice in the last 12 years. Yeah, yeah you know, know, definitely, definitely solid organization. Solid, solid, organization. solid, solid absolutely. I trust him. To, I trust him to make the right decision. I uh, I'm just voicing my opinion that not keeping Vic as your starter is the right decision, regardless of what yeah. Kevin Cobb has shown. I'm intrigued next week that you know they they do have Jacksonville coming in. Um, today they got lit up on defense. Well, so they played the Chargers. The Chargers are coming off of a biting loss. They 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 offensively completely dominated and outperformed the Kansas City Chiefs the week before and lost because their special teams play was terrible. So they weren't about to lose a stinker to the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I don't think that that was necessarily a fair representation of the Jacksonville team. I don't think they're a great team, but uh, but anyways, they're 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 playing Philly next week, as you were saying. Uh, no, I, <laughs> I, you know I I think he could put up the numbers and I, you know it it's early in the season. Hopefully, there's not a uh, QB controversy, but this seems to be the one to where it could happen. This is Philly, my friend. They throw batteries at the Pope. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's that's well, not that's not true. They throw batteries at football players. They boo the Pope, but when you put them together, it sounds a lot more heinous. They throw batteries at the Pope. I always thought it was funny that Philly had to dub themselves as the city of brotherly love because nobody else would. Nobody, nobody else, else would have put, put that, that moniker on them. No, no way. way. But uh, yeah, if there's if there's the, what'll happen is Cobb will come back and he's going to start off less than spectacular, and the Philly fans are going to jump all over it. They're just gonna they're just gonna rave on and on and rant on and on about how Vic needs to be their starting quarterback. And uh, I, it's amazing to me that Andy Reid has lasted as long as he has there because every decision that he's made that's been anywhere remotely even questionable has been ridiculed and ripped apart by his direct fan base to an extent that no other city can match. I think I think Cleveland stuff, just in that sense, with being they are, but their teams have been making really bad decisions. <laughs> Okay. So I, I, in Philly, in Philly, it's fickleness. In Cleveland, yeah. it's savviness. Because <laughs> when it's when you disagree with what what Cleveland executives are doing, you're probably right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, as a fan, <laughs> I, I don't like most of the stuff they do, but yeah, I I, I just I can see it being. A, Maybe maybe it's just going to be an ESPN controversy because they like to bring that stuff up all the time. Yeah. Um, artificial. Artificial. Yeah. yeah. I I can see it. So, do I want it? No. Kolb should be the starter when he comes back. He didn't really do anything to lose the starting spot. Well, I want to just mention. You know, we've got uh, we've got a big uh, big Monday night matchup this week between the. Uh, highly touted preseason poll favorite, the San Francisco 49ers, who got absolutely crushed by the lowly Seahawks last week, um, going up against the New Orleans Saints. Not on our agenda, but uh, for for fun only, who do you uh, who do you got in that game, Bob? Uh, New Orleans. Uh, I've never been a big proponent of uh, Alex Smallhands Smith. 
It is Alex Smith out there, quarterback. Oh, yes. Okay, small hands. Alec, Alex Small Hand Smith. Yes. Yeah, I got it. Um, and I just... I, Offense. I don't think their offense is going to be able to propel them too much uh, this year. Uh, will it surprise me if, if they pull it off? Maybe um, a little bit. But I, I just don't think the New Orleans Saints are going to be stopped in a Monday night primetime game. Agreed. I, I, I think you yeah, definitely have to take New Orleans with the win. Bodog has the Saints. Bodog has the Saints minus six. Are you taking the spread? You think they're uh, you think they're beating them by six or more, or uh, are you staying away from that bet? I don't bet because I tend to lose money. I know I don't bet either. <laughs> this is for this is for uh, disclaimer. This is for educational or no, this is for entertainment purposes only. Anybody who uh, takes our word and bets on the game um, can just give us their money. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah I, I, I definitely, definitely think, think I take the Saints and I take the the spread. I think that six points is an easy one. I think uh, I think the Niners will get up for this game because they got such a disappointing loss last week. But uh, ultimately, I don't think they got enough to beat the Saints. Not enough to cover six. No, no, no. I I would agree with Matt. We get out there and we hit him in the mouth. Anything else? No, that's it. All right, I'm going to close it out. Uh, I'm excited next week. For the UFL premiere of Maurice Claret. Oh yes, yeah. so get your uh, get your TV tuners program to record that one because he will probably get a player two on the field. Well, well first, first you have, have to have verses or HD net, so might, might be pay per view for some of us. I, I I think I have both, yeah. um, and I probably still won't watch it. Um. <laughs> Road trip to Matt's house. Yeah, no, I'm just assuming that's going to be a big line next week. You think? Maybe. Maybe. All right. Well, hey, if it's if it's newsworthy, rest assured, we will talk about it. Or, or even, even if, if it, it isn't. Like maybe. Maurice Claret. Like, like we are doing right now. <laughs> well, this has been Sports on Point. It's our first episode with our new co-host, Bob Williams. Good job tonight, by the way, Bob. Yes, Bob. Young in there with us pretty well. Well, I'll I'll just let let the audience decide on that one. You can send your feedback on how we're all doing here at Sports on Point to feedback at sportsonpoint.com. You can also call the show and leave a voice message at 646-39-POINT. That's 646-397-6468. We'll see you next week. And guys, since we have two Bobs on the show, um, if you have any suggestions on some nickname we could use for either button-pressing Bob, our producer, or Bob Williams, our new co-host, send them to feedback at sportsonpoint.com. We look forward to, look forward to hearing some suggestions.